Let us pray. God, we ask that our souls may magnify you, that our spirits may rejoice in you, our Savior, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts may be truly acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer, and let the people say, This is one of those Sundays that is full to overflowing, which is probably good on the third Sunday of Advent when we hear the words of Mary's song, the Magnificat, that we are to be filled with good things. We've had at least two homilies, and we're probably going to have another, but I'll take a shot with this sermon. Last week I mentioned that this is my sixth Advent with you. It's my twelfth Advent serving as a minister of a church. And I have to say, I honestly grapple with the question, do I have anything new to say about this story? It is a case with ministers, particularly when you come to the Christmas and Easter stories. They are like movies that we like to watch again and again. You may have your favorite holiday movie. Perhaps it's A Wonderful Life or Miracle on 34th Street or The Peanuts Christmas Special or Love Actually might be a new addition. The question might be, what scenes are we going to zoom in on this year? Where are we going to dig a little deeper? Or what do we just need to be reminded of? I'm aware, as I've probably said before, that church is all about review. As I say to one of my colleagues, it's love, justice, and compassion, to which he said it's just wash, rinse, and repeat, right? (laughs) I think at this time of year, what is the essence of this story about? As we hear the stories of the announcements, as we heard the visitation between Mary and Elizabeth, and one of my favorites... Advent Christmas movies is a five-minute YouTube clip that I shared with you online about four years ago from a church in Auckland, New Zealand. It's a little children's pageant where they're set in a modern-day heavenly kingdom, all bright lights and fun costumes, performed by children, and it begins with this. Do you ever wonder what could happen if we could pull back the curtain of time to that very first Christmas? If we could, I imagine the story being in, being in heaven something like this. God was looking over the balcony of heaven one day, shaking his head at all the wrong things that people were doing on earth. And God said, oh man, this isn't quite what I had in mind when I created earth. I feel so far away from my kids down there. The angels say, Why? Well, it's just hard to be friends with people who you you don't like what they're doing. I think it's time. Time for what, Lord? Time for us to step in. A little gladiator angel comes to the fore and says, Shall we ready the army, Lord? Teach them a lesson. No, I don't think we should send an army. Maybe just one person. One person? And then a little cherubic angel with aviator goggles on says, Brilliant! They won't be expecting that. (laughs) And then a young angel looks like about a fifth grader sitting in a swing with glasses and a book. Pipes up and she says, Lord, if you're sending just one person, it'll have to be someone very powerful and very strong because there's tons of people down there. No, they, they don't have to be strong. They'll be going as a newborn baby. A newborn baby? Who I call Hermione Angel says, Lord, 
this plan is rather risky. A newborn baby is small and weak. This baby must be born to people who will protect him, maybe a great ruler or a mighty king. Well, actually, I was thinking I could send him to a young peasant girl whose heart is beautiful and full of courage. Cherubic angel says, brilliant, they won't be expecting that. (laughs) The gladiator chimes up again, my lord, I see you are planning to take earth by, by surprise. No one will be expecting a newborn baby born to a humble villager, but what good can a baby do? God says, this will not be just any baby. I'm sending in the prince of heaven in disguise. They all chime in in wonderment. The prince of heaven? Our prince? Your son? And then, eating a cupcake, the cherub says, I won't respect you that. <laughs> the gladiator says, Lord, this is too risky. Sending the prince of heaven as a tiny baby, born not to kings but to humble villagers, surely our prince cannot be born in a cottage. He must be born in a palace. To which God says, you're right. He shouldn't be born in college. Cottage, more college. (laughs) He'll be born in a stable. A stable? Surrounded by animals? Filled with hay? Filled with poop? Brilliant! They won't be expecting that! (laughs) But what if they don't notice? Those who are looking will find him, God says, and his mission will bring all people closer to me, even if they do something really wrong. When the prince is done, nothing will get between them and my love. And then the angels start asking, can we, can we leave some clues for the people looking for him, like in the stars? Clues in the stars. Hmm, sure, why not? We can choose one big one that points to him. Can we sing for him? Yes, can we sing? Sing to welcome him? Please let us sing. God looked at all their hopeful little faces, and his heart was touched by their love for the prince. All right, you can sing. But not in front of the whole world. That would just be too weird. (laughs) And no kings or rulers. How about we sing for some shepherds? That's a lonely job. Those blokes could use some cheering up. Brilliant. They won't be expecting that. (laughs) And then you know the rest of the story. An angel visited a humble girl with a courageous heart and told her the good news that she would have a baby and and he would be the prince of heaven who would help earth and help people be close to God again. And as planned, the baby was born in a stable, almost as far from a palace as you can get. And then there was a group of wise ones who were noticing some strange clues in the stars, and they packed all their belongings. And then, of course, a bunch of lonely shepherds were guarding their sheep, when all of a sudden the sky lit up, thousands of angels singing, because nobody would ever expect that. The haunting truth to me about Christmas is, if it would happen again, would we notice? A few weeks ago, I was up in the youth room with our youth class, who were actually visiting another church today as part of their How to Church Shop workshop. And we had a little exercise. If you were to write the movie of the birth of Jesus in a new setting, how would you do it? It's a good exercise for all of us to think about at our tables at dinner around this Christmas time. Would you set it perhaps in the slums of Mumbai or the favelas of Rio de Janeiro or the streets of Nairobi or the outback of Australia, perhaps somewhere south of Shanghai or some cheap motel on the outskirts of Boston? 
It's a good exercise to let your imagination and mind wonder about how God might replay this story in our own time and place. Be your own casting director, your own, your own director and producer, your own location scout, costume and set designer. Let your mind wander. Mary is, of course, central to the story, and you have to be careful how you cast her. She's got to be someone young, preferably a teenager, someone steely-eyed and clear, who's wise beyond her years, an old soul, with a bounty of creative courage that may not yet be fully realized. You can see we helped you out a little bit on the order of worship by putting the Pakistani Nobel laureate Malala on the cover. Someone who has the courage and the pluck that despite horrible things happening to her, would keep her mission of helping educate and spread love and courage and wisdom and justice wherever she goes. Now, before we heard the passage from Valencia, you know what happened earlier, is that Mary heard from the angel, and the angel did indeed say to her, you're going to have the Son of the Most High. And she said, how can this be? Because I've never been intimate with a man. And he said, the, the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And then he tells her about her cousin Elizabeth. And finally says, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary says these wonderful words, words for us to live by. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. My question as we come to this story again always is how might we emulate Mary in our own lives, our own faith, regardless of our gender. Whenever we are given a challenge a big task, particularly one that takes us out of our comfort zone, it may just be that an angel has come to visit us. And my question is, are we going to say like Mary, look, my job is to continue like my ancestors in faith, like Sarah and Abraham, like Zechariah and Elizabeth. My job is to magnify God's presence, God's light in the world around me. My job is to let my spirit rejoice in all the great things that I know God has done for me. And my job is to keep on doing the work that the ancestors, the prophets, that Jesus, that Paul, that all the people who've carried the faith since did, which is scattering the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, bringing down the powerful from their thrones, particularly the powerful who abuse their power, Lifting up the lowly, the people who are unseen around the world and in our very presence. Filling the hungry people who are everywhere with good things. Filling meals that nourish them and sustain them. And sending the rich empty away. Those who hoard their possessions and their wealth without sharing it with others. Let it be with me according to your will. I'm aware that sometimes the news the angel brings may not be as evidently charming or as wonderful as having a baby, which, if I understand correctly, is not the easiest thing in the world. I often consider pregnant women the most courageous people I know. But if the angel may come and say, you're going to have a child with special needs, let it be with me according to your will. You're going to have a sexuality or a gender identity that is in the minority. Let it be with me according to your will. You're going to have a spouse or a parent with dementia that will cause you to look for new support 
Create new friendships. Let it be with me according to your will. You're going to have a health condition that will cause you to look for at life in new ways. Let it be with me according to your will. Or in the case of Malala, you're going to have a bullet put in your brain for your advocacy of girls' education that is going to catapult you to international fame and recognition. Let it be with me according to your will. Or in the case of Emma Gonzalez, something is going to happen at your high school that will cause you to speak up nationally for sane gun safety laws. Let it be with me according to your will. Or Rosa Parks, you're going to be asked to sit at the front of the bus and make a national statement that will cause you persecution and hardship. But bring joy to others. Let it be with me according to will. You're going to have a job opportunity or a new relationship or an unexpected family situation that seems like more than you can take on. Let it be with me according to your will. Whatever it might be for you or for me, whatever it will mean for us to say, let it be with me according to your will, I don't know what it is, but it always happens and often not at the most convenient times. And as the angel Gabriel forewarned Mary, will we let the Spirit of God be upon us? Will we allow ourselves to be overshadowed by the power of the Most High? Will we let a tiny, holy state of being begin to grow in us? In essence, I believe we are called to be surrogate parents for God in the world, just as Mary and Joseph were, to let God be magnified through us, to let God's divine light shine forth. At its best, it's not easy work. It's not even popular work. It's usually, almost never, unpaid, well-paid work. But it's the work that God calls us to do. I often think of us as prisms for reflecting and refracting God's love in the world. And something I shared with you in my first Advent was a quote from the monastic Thomas Merton who spoke of a virgin point, a blank space, a point in all of us that belongs to God. He described it as such. At the center of our being is a point vierge, a point of nothingness which is untouched by sin and by illusion, a point of pure truth, a point or spark which belongs entirely to God, which is not always at our disposal, from which God disposes of our lives which is inaccessible to the fantasies of our own mind or the brutalities of our own will. This little point of nothingness and of absolute poverty is the pure glory of God in us. It is, so to speak, God's name written in us. As our dependence, as our discipleship, as our poverty, as our indigence, it is like a pure diamond blazing with the invisible light of heaven. It is in everybody... And if we could see it, we would see these billions of points of light coming together in the face and blaze of a sun that would make all the darkness and the cruelty of life vanish completely. There's a point vierge in each of us where God wants to take up some room to shine through. And our question is, are we willing to say, let it be with me according to your will, Come and magnify your presence through me. Amen.